Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Faith here with a welcome toast. It was Vince Statton who said, barbecue is 99% perspiration and 1% sauce. Please feel free to consume this show podcast in small bites or eat the whole thing. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. We have one of the legends of barbecue, Mike Mills, on the show. He and his daughter, Amy Mills, have done a new cookbook called Praise the Lard. When I say this man is a barbecue legend, I mean it. And you can attend one of the legendary barbecue block parties in New York City coming up very soon Barbecue stars from across the nation are cooking at this thing, Madison Square Park in New York City. That's coming up later in the show. We're going to tell you all about that. We're going to also tell you about a great discovery, a sparkling rosé. But let me tell you, my treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributors Chris Prosperi and Alex Province, Senior producer Robin Doyon Aiken, who joins us on the show. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hello. So we're going to start with that sparkling rosé. And we're going to use this sparkling rosé to teach you how to make a lemony sorbet wine milkshake. How about that for refreshing summer drinking? I think this could be a dessert. At a, mm-hmm. at a picnic, don't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, it is delicious. I think you could start with it. You could end with it. You could have it anytime. So <laughs> it's this, so refreshing. I agree. This is a, a creation of Alex Province, uh, who sometimes does cocktails for us. So how did you learn about this? So this is a rift off what they have in Rioja, Spain. Like after every single meal, they'll have this lemon sorbet cava milkshake. And we had this beautiful sparkling rosé. So. And this one was from Italy. And you'll see on the website, foodschmooze.org, that we have this recipe for the wine milkshake, lemony and creamy at the same time. We also have information about this rosé with a picture of the label like usual. And it's about $12.99 a bottle. You can even find sparkling rosés for less money. But this is a very nice Mm. one from the Veneto region of Italy. Alex, let's talk about how this came together. What did you do? Really easy. In a big bowl, pour in some softened sorbet, and I use lemon sorbet. And you used a pint. Yeah, a full pint. You know, the softer, the better. Dump it in, and then we eyeballed how much kava. There were four of us, so we poured in like half a bottle. And then the kava starts softening up the sorbet. I used a whisk. Mm -hmm. And then I added some nice lemon zest. I added maybe to taste a couple shots of vodka. And then I folded it all together with a couple of tablespoons of heavy cream just to lighten it up and make it like a milkshake. Mm-hmm. You can use a whisk to get nice creamy texture. Mm-hmm. And then you pour that carefully into a flute with a nice spiraled straw and a little lemon zest on top. And you have this like fun <laughs> or, sparkling present. Or, or throw present. in a raspberry or strawberry, Ra- Raspberry right? would be fun. Yeah. Or Meyer lemon. It, or blueberries. Or... It's more refreshing than a milkshake though, right? It's more oh. like a soft Italian ice with kava or sparkling wine. 
wine. Yeah. It's uh, the kava gives it the effervescence, or the sparkling rosé yeah. gives it effervescence. The cream is really just sort of to lighten it up a little bit, and yeah, and it coats your palate. I mean, this lemon is, sorbet. Has I could do this all summer long. So, this could be my new after work little cocktail. In Spain, well, after every dinner, you'd mm-hmm. you'd have a flute of this. It's and, gonna be my new girls' night drink. Sort of oh, thing yeah. to start Absolutely. us off. Yeah, I think that bringing this out with maybe a plate of chocolate cookies for fun. Oh, yeah, to uh, bringing this out as dessert, as the yeah. principal part of dessert, maybe with nothing else. Oh no, I'm thinking those chocolate straws so that you get. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? They're like that tweel cookie filled with chocolate it's in the middle. You buy idea. them, and yeah. then you just like dip them in there, eat, and what a oh my idea. god! Okay, so <laughs> uh, you've got to see this recipe, and you've got to try this, Alex. Thank you so much sure, for this. Happy to. This is uh, Alex Province's recipe for what we're calling lemony sorbet wine milkshakes, mm. uh, <laughs> and you can serve them in a flute and make them fancy. You, you could do them at any plastic point. cup. Yeah. They could be yes. A picnic. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's the perfect time, right? We're at the beginning of summer, and this is the perfect time for a cocktail like this. And again, the rosé we're using for this one is a maschio rosé from the Veneto region of Italy, and it's around twelve ninety nine a bottle and is all over our region. I think you'll find this, but call ahead just to make absolutely certain. You can use really any sparkling wine, A Prosecco wine, right? would you be perfect. A Prosecco, a Cava, Cava from Spain. Don't spend a uh, ton of money. 10 yeah. or 15 bucks is all you need. Don't yeah. don't go crazy. And, and by the way, that one that I use at house parties or summer parties is uh, Segura Viudas. That would yeah. be perfect. That's yeah. around $9 a bottle. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but any yeah. one you've got will be just fine. We've done a lot on the show in the past about caramelized onions, and we're going to be talking about barbecue coming up. I know a lot of you are probably, as you listen, going to be grilling steaks at some point, and you're thinking, maybe I'll do a bowl of caramelized onions on the table. What if it's a weeknight and you don't have the 30, 45 minutes to do caramelized onions? What are you going to do? Go to your freezer. This is, uh, you make a, a big batch you do. reason. I know, uh, but do you do it too? Yeah, we have some. Okay, so here's a, another trick. I want to do a shout out to Fine Cooking Magazine because they offered a tip that you can speed up the browning of onions in a pan on a weeknight by putting in just a touch of baking soda. Really? Is oh, I haven't heard that one before. That yeah. is a new one for you. Have or haven't? I haven't. And why I is haven't that? heard that one either. Well, I guess they say that, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm quoting them, yeah. onions brown in a pan because yeah. there's a chemical reaction between the amino acids and reducing sugars. Yep. You know, there are all kinds of variables about the temperature and sure, all this bit. But if you've there, got yeah. a little bit of baking soda... The pH level changes, and the onions brown more quickly, but don't add too much. So they're talking about an eighth of a teaspoon per large onion. I'm going to try that. So it neutralizes the acidity. So an eighth to a quarter, depending if you've got a couple onions. Changes the acidity, makes it brown faster, huh? I'll throw one more at you if you want to do the opposite of that, and that's put them in your slow cooker before you leave for work. And when you get home, stir, 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 you have caramelized onions. Oh, yeah. No. Well, yeah. what else goes in your besides house the good. onions? Yeah. Uh, oil and onions. How much oil? Yeah, just a little bit of oil. Like you would well, the, sa- would say the same little bit in uh, chef's a, a tablespoon. The same you would use to caramelize onions if you're doing it in a pan. So you put a little oil in the bottom of I it, you swirl it around, <laughs> and then you throw your onions in, throw the lid on, put it on low. No salt, nothing. I find that I salt my caramelized onions after Unlike when I'm sweating onions for soups and stuff, you want to salt them as. When I salt them before, 
or like with caramelized it brings out the water it brings out the waters and it never caramelizes right for me so it's the one thing i always season after so i would season them when you got home and just throw some salt in there mix it up i would even put a little butter in there does the size of your slow cooker matter for something like this do you have to have a little one no it doesn't matter what the the size the coolest thing about the slow cooker is that that whole thing about time and size a pan all that stuff that all goes away because you're cooking it at such a low temperature your variable you know that it's not cooked it is cooked thing is so long that it's hard to overcook it's easier to undercook but you're not home so you can't can't mess it up (laughs) and what setting is it on always low for a long period of time or high for a shorter period of time so if you're out of the house for eight hours always on low right Mm. Wow. Yep. I and love then, that tip. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I no, do, too. Yeah, that's, I always say, and this is the funny thing, because I've taken all my recipes now and say four hours on high, eight hours on low, and you're always going to be right in there. So this means that if you're having people over for, uh, let's say, a Saturday picnic, the night before... You can do what Chris is talking about. Mm-hmm. Throw those onions into your slow cooker with yep. a little bit of oil. Go what kind? What kind of oil? I use canola use? now, but okay. I mean, you use olive oil, a little whatever bit of you oil, use. stir it up, and then put the lid on. Eight hours for the overnight on low. You get up the next day, and Stop. your caramelized onions are done. Oh, my God. That and then you can add an them. Omelet. I was going to say, you can <laughs> add them right to your omelet. Mm. <laughs> and if you sleep for 10 hours, no worries. You'd add a little chorizo. Oh, who oh sleeps for God. 10 hours? <laughs> on Sundays. <laughs> on Saturday night into Sunday, you sleep counting. 10 hours. Well, that's very interesting. <laughs> Uh-oh, I'm revealing my sleep <laughs> I know who I'm going to be calling early on Sunday. No, no, the phone's not even in the room. <laughs> That's the only day the phone's not on. Chris, around. are these onions done? <laughs> so what are your, in terms of the kind of steak that you love to put, because we've got the big barbecue legend coming up, and he's going to tell us about these pork chops with bourbon butter and this dry rub he puts on first that are going to slay you. So in terms of steak on the grill, what are your favorite cuts that you like to grill? Right now, it's the flat iron. If you can find it, a hundred times over, and every time I taste one, I'm always blown away by how much I love it. It has this kind of livery kind of taste. Mm. It's a little stronger in flavor. So if you like a strong flavored steak, oh my flat god, flat iron. Oh. How do you cook that? If I'm going to be inside, I do a high sear or in the, the broiler. I do, or I do it on the grill. So Chris, you know, was turned on to these, and so I got a big, giant box of them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I can't tell you how many steaks I made. <laughs> right? They are delicious. They're delicious. Flat iron. Yep. But I did mine always in the cast iron. A few so minutes that. on each side. Oh, but on the, the grill, what would you yeah. do? Same thing. I season salt and pepper in a few minutes on each side. They're generally very thin. thin. And you so slice them across the grain. And then I slice them across the grain, and you just, oh, my God, it's but so But the good. trick was, and this is true for any steak, to let it rest for 100%. 10 minutes. Yeah. Because it's even, thin, it's not going to keep cooking. Yeah, I it, can't even tell cooking. people yeah. how long to rest things. I you always, can't over rest You can't it. overrest yeah. something. But even, what happens during the resting? The juices, so when you cook things, right, liquid is forced out. From so pressure. it's from the center out, from the pressure and the heat. So when you let it rest, those juices settle back in. So if you cut a steak right off the grill, you'll see gray on the outside. Mm. If you let it rest... That juice goes back to the outside, and you'll have that medium rare or medium straight through. I'll even say this. If you take your steaks, you grill them a rare to medium rare, and then you let them sit for like an hour. And they come down on a platter. The juice is collected. Tented or not tented. I'm not even that fancy. And then reheat them. They'll be better than if you take them off the grill and eat them right away. 
Wow. It's just something about that wrestling. Reheat them where? On you can back put them the back grill? on the grill for and you're, thirty now, seconds. Yeah, because you're not you're not looking at like cooking them again. You're just looking at Warming heating them. them up. And how hot do they have to be? I love room temperature steak. No, I do too. I do too. Right? It doesn't have Summer. to be. That's the thing. Steak doesn't have to be piping hot. So your flat iron, uh, Robin and Alex, New York strip or ribeye? Is that the same thing? Um, no, different ends. Different ends. So the ribeyes on one end, and, the, and I was like sirloins on the other end. Have the the butcher show me the pieces, and I get the one with as much little specks of white fat as possible. Yeah. Rib, I'm ribeye with You're you, ribeye. Alex. I always think of that as like a fancy steak. Mm-hmm. It's it like, is. That's I like think we share steak. one. We get oh, one yeah. and we share it. Mm-hmm. Ribeyes are like date night steak, but mm-hmm. um, weeknight for steak taco kind of steak, I always go with flank steak or skirt yep. steak. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's good, good too. Those are all. These are all high flavor ones. Mm-hmm. The, you know, there's an. an argument could be made though that there's more flavor in the flat iron and the skirt yes. than even in our ribeye that we no enjoy question. for the what we're tasting yes. is fat yep. and with these other steaks we're tasting flavor. beefiness yeah. well, you, know, you know what the old rule is right the lower to the ground the cut of meat comes from the more flavor it has I didn't Stuff know, that's used that. or whatever. No, no, no. It's not. It's not about muscles. The lower to the ground, and that's. I don't know. It's just the way animals are designed. So <laughs> if you're eating the cuts that are closer to the ground, like the sirloin, not the sirloin, like the shanks, right, and the flat iron and the skirt, so those are all on the bottom side of the cow. Then we need we need uh, charts. You need a chart. Yeah. Look on the chart, and and you'll see the flat iron actually comes from the chuck. It's a muscle inside the chuck. Again, a lot lower to the ground than the New York strip or the tenderloin or the ribeye, which are high on the back. What doesn't grill well? Because every time I look at the meat counter, I, I'm intimidated of what I can or can't. Yeah, the, the only thing I'd say well, what, is filet mignon. It would be hard to grill. No, right? those are great. It's, but it's I mean the thick ones. No, those, that, those are good to grill. Either. Are they? The I've thicker, never tried that. The thicker they are, the slower you grill, right? So food science guy Harold McGee says grilling slower is better than grilling hotter. And he did this test, and I did, I couldn't believe it. It came out. I don't know, it's got to be ten years ago now. And he said grill lamb chops or grill lamb leg, or whatever you want to do, grill it and do two pieces. So we're talking about small portions, like four ounce portions. Take one piece, put it right on the hot coals, and grill it like you're taught to grill it a hundred, you know, a hundred times over. Really hot, turn it, you know, turn it once, turn it once, and then be done, right? And then he said, take the other piece, put it on the cooler side, Mm -hmm. and turn it, and turn it, and turn it. So don't let it ever sit for more than like two minutes. Just keep turning it. Now it's a lot more work. Like a rotisserie Yeah, like a rotisserie, but it's a lot more work and you don't get that char on the outside but oh my gosh the results so brown mind-blowing it lightly browns but the doneness and the juiciness is so much better the only thing i miss is that if you like that sear that crunchy caramelization on the outside yeah you miss yeah so you miss that but boy i'm talking about the center being so juicy Mm. and so like succulent is there a way to put a substance not flour a substance on the outside of a cut of beef to give it more of a crust with some salt. Would cornstarch do it? Is there a is really there something? dry, right? But if you if you and this is the problem. Like, see, when I sear inside a restaurant, I have these huge exhaust fans, right? So I can get my pan so hot that when I put the meat in there, I get this like channel of smoke going up in the uh-huh. air. That if I was home, would set off every smoke alarm in my house and the two neighbors You'd on either side. Have to repaint <laughs> and have to repaint. But so you can't sear as hot. So you need a little bit of flour. But I would use a cornmeal. Because it gives it more crunchier, like on a corn. Steak? Yeah, I would use cornmeal. Wouldn't on a you steak. taste it? Yeah, but it gives a little crunchy bits. 
those brown mm. bits that we're talking about, those crunchy brown bits. Is this like chicken fried steak? It'd be it? like chicken fried steak. And <laughs> like, who doesn't love chicken oh fried steak? Oh. Hey, huh? hey, hey, have you got <laughs> stale crackers, tortilla chips, uh, cookies? We've got a tip for you. We can fix that. Coming up, we're going to tell you how to do that. More mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. up for our free podcast that arrives in your inbox. You don't have to do anything except sign up once. It comes every single week. Sign up at foodschmooze.org. Oh, there's the sounds of the city coming through (laughs) our walls. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, and wine broker Alex Province. Our senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken, and I promised a tip to you, but I wanted to say, I said, how do we grill a beef tenderloin? And Robin just reminded me on the break, we've got a video of Chris doing that at our site. You can just search how to grill beef tenderloin and see Chris doing it. I completely forgot. So that's at foodschmooze.org. Promise tip. We've had a lot of moisture in the air, and that's, yeah, you think? <laughs> that's what makes um, bad hair days. Moss. That's what makes all those uh, those dry foods, the crisp foods, get stale. They taste stale. They, they smell stale. They're soggy. Well, thanks to a tip, this is a shout out to Cooks Illustrated. They said all you have to do is whether it's cookies or tortilla chips or crackers, whatever it is, you just spread those foods out in an even layer on a rimmed baking sheet. So try not to overlap them. Uh Then you put the sheet in the middle of a 225-degree oven for 15 to 25 minutes. It depends on the item. Maybe if it's graham crackers or whatever Uh you're doing, just check them, and they will crisp right up on a rimmed baking sheet, and you can crisp up everything. With the kind of moisture and then the coming humidity... That is a great tip. S'more season. Yeah, and I've got a tip for potato chips. This time of year, I do the Faith Middleton. I keep my potato chips in the freezer. Oh, yeah. Whenever the humidity gets high, I just grab all my chips and I run for the freezer. Seal the bag. Seal the bag, put it in the freezer. I don't eat regular potato chips any other way now. I just do them frozen because of de Chauvin in Simsbury, who gave me this tip. It's a great tip. Home economist, teacher. She said, you know, that's how you save chips from going stale. And I'm thinking, save them? There's never <laughs> and, and, But she said, try one. And I thought, well, this will be weird. It's frozen. But no, it, it doesn't so taste good. They frozen. warm right up? No, it's, it's not They're that. cold, yeah. but they're, they're ultra so crisp. Thin. Someone so, wrote yeah. in and told us scientifically what's going on. Yeah, I, forget I remember what it is. that. But they're ultra crisp. Yeah. 
Try it. I'm telling you, try it once and you'll be like, why aren't they in the freezer now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get out ice cream. Yeah. Get out, move, make room. <laughs> I have a section now. Yeah. And one quarter of my uh, freezer now. Rosé ice three, cubes. Yeah, yeah the, the ice cubes and then the three three bags of potato <laughs> chips. Barbecue, salt and vinegar. And Caramelized onions. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Hey, remember on a previous show when we told you about the Cook's Illustrated tip for how to make half sheet paper towels if you made a mistake and you bought the ones that are whole sheets. Somebody wrote in and gave them a tip and it was to use one of those serrated long knives for bread and to cut the roll in half and now you've got half sheets on two different rolls. You put one in the pantry. Oh, my, that's a great idea. I made a mistake. Huh. I bought the wrong, wrong roll of paper towels. And I thought, wait a minute. And so I got out the bread knife. I sawed it in half and put one roll away and just use it. Now, here's the only problem with this tip. It kind of looks a little sawed off. <laughs> no, it definitely does, you right? Know, kinda, you know, yeah, maybe like, don't do it if you're having company. How do you change the pattern? <laughs> And do you do it right on the pattern? Do you find a section no, of the I pattern you I like? Don't have a pattern. You kind of, you kind of like. Oh wait, I, I got to cut the, right by like that leaf. The plain ones. <laughs> I just can't bear having the pattern. I just wanted to say I tried it and it really worked. <laughs> so, coming up, as mentioned, we have Mike Mills. He is a legend in barbecue. He's going to be in our our next segment and giving us great, great barbecue tips. And we'll offer a recipe for the most killer pork chops on the grill imaginable if you're a smoker but we also tell you how to do it if you don't have a smoker because i don't does anybody here have a smoker i do okay i, I have one. a small one i kind of that's yeah. if i'm smoking something for home i do it at the restaurant and then i just heat it up aren't they pretty cheap can you get you one can for get, like a hundred bucks uh, yeah you get these now at uh what's cabela's that seems like a lot of money to me no but if you smoke a lot it's worth it so you go to cabela's they have a whole section on smokers oh, yeah rocks. In, what, sure. in east hartford in east hartford and they have a whole section on home smokers and they're industrial they're cabela's. bigger yeah. i'm telling you for a hundred yeah. maybe to two hundred dollars you can get a good smoker and i always say if you're gonna smoke once a month it's worth it and you can are. even get a smoker at like Home Depot or Lowe's. Yes. Actually, that's yep. what I was just going to yeah. say yeah. for for even yeah. less. I think, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Do smoke chips? The smoker chips count to put they into work. your barbecue? Totally. You work. mean just put your chips on there? I do that. You have to I have soak them in water. I have a Weber grill, the one that's gas assist with charcoal. So I get the charcoal going, and then I take one side with my wet chips, and I throw. And I used to have a smoke box I put mm-hmm. in there, but I don't even do that anymore. You soak your chips overnight, or you keep them in a bucket of water, and you just throw a handful right on the coals. Soak them in old smoke. wine. Yeah. Ooh, that's a old good Old wine. Right? Or wow. And then you get, you get smoke. What does that do? Just adds a little it. flavor. Yeah, sure. Right. That's a very good yeah. idea. Flavored smoke. If we were in California, we'd be throwing grapevines. Yeah. Oak barrel Colorado, chips or something. We'd yeah. be putting cottonwood on the fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? So, and it's, that it's makes you an are. incredible steak. So I'm a maple hickory guy. I learned that from No Night Smokehouse mesquite. in Goshen. They do a combination of maple and hickory in some mm. of their smoke. I mix them 50-50. Amazing flavor. Wow. Yeah. I, I was reading an article the other day that more and more people are getting into wood fire cooking at mm-hmm. home. Yeah. And I don't mean people like our dear Mark Raymond, mm-hmm. a senior contributor. With as a wood fire in, he's a, got, in his garage. He's you got know, one of these fancy, <laughs> Half fancy. his house. Is, yeah. <laughs> he's know. got a backyard set up like crazy. <laughs> So it's not like that. These Outside are people kitchen. who are doing very simple yeah. wood fire grills, and there are companies yeah. now that are making grills that are devoted to wood fire. Yeah. I don't know why you can't just put a bunch of rocks on the ground 
and like they used uh, put to some logs a thousand in, years ago, campfire. Or 2, years ago. And they cook with logs too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Roll the log in different amount of heat. You know, I have to say that during the wintertime, Roma Baron put a grill rack in the fireplace. Yeah. And we cooked a steak inside, indoors, in the fireplace, in the living room. My friend Lou Eckes was fantastic. My friend Lou Eckes in Massachusetts all winter long. He went and got an old spit with a little electric motor. It's not fancy at all. It's just this turning device. device. It's two sticks on legs. He does prime rib, chickens. Uh He did for Thanksgiving. He does turkey. Because really, it's a set it and forget it. He uses the fire to heat the house anyway. So he's always got a fire going. And he just takes this device. He chucks it in the back of the fireplace. And then he has his meat in there. And then just keeps the fire going. House smells good. Oh, the house smells good. And the food is amazing and it takes longer to cook but you're not doing anything right (laughs) do you remember we had a wood fire cooking expert on the show he had taken one of those large cast iron pots with Mm -hmm. a lid yeah put biscuit dough in it put the lid on Uh and stuck the whole thing in the coals of his fireplace as soon as he thought it was ready he pulled it out with potholders, yeah. put it in the trunk of his car, and drove them here to yeah. our studio for the Amazing. show. And took the lid off. They were still hot. We pulled them out. They had a little char in oh. places, and we put butter on them. Oh. oh, my goodness. How do we do biscuits like that in the summer? In the oven, <sighs> in I the suppose. Oven, I guess. In the weather. But there's something about cooking on fire. There's something you that translates on wood fire. There's not, something not a that, gas fire. Not a gas fire, a wood fire that translates into the food that's, you can't duplicate it with gas or cooking inside. It's one of those special things. And even cooking on real charcoal versus a gas fire is different, right? Oh, yes. I'm sure he uses a charcoal of some kind that he cooks over. and it's We're, we're going to ask him yeah. which one he yeah. uses. I do like the smell of briquettes, though, in the distance. Like, yeah. we live in the city, and I can smell yeah, when I get home it's somebody's... The, it's the smell you know, of summer, of isn't it? City, it summer is. in the city. We used to have to go out in the woods because my parents were, like, anti-lighter fluid. You get kindling. Or, yeah, we used to have to pick twigs up up in the forest and then bring them back and then my dad would get the newspaper and right oh, start that. to fire and that's the only way you used to be you able can, to do it when you prune your apple trees or any fruit trees save all those clippings can mm, rope yes. them up Let put them, them in the garage yeah. and then use them all summer yeah what a good idea alex uh i have a little grill about the size of a hibachi grill <sighs> That so is nice. has a battery fan, and oh, you put oh. chunks of wood, if you've got a friend who will cut them for you, yeah. the fan hits the wood, and wow. so the flame, it's constantly stoked, and you do, I do steaks on there. Oh, I bet you it's oh, amazing. Just, it's really fantastic. It fits in your it's, car? It's Canadian. It's called the Wood Flame Grill, and I bought it on the home shopping network. <laughs> <laughs> late night. Were you up late night? <laughs> and I That's thought, for me. It was like With three cherry easy payments. <laughs> three easy payments <laughs> of nine ninety nine. No, I think it was like. $80 or something. And I thought, oh, a wood fire with a battery yeah. fan. How That's genius is idea. this? Is it safe? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. And that makes the fire, right? Because yeah. you're adding that air, forced air in there. And it's makes a battery. It more it's like a battery operated. Yeah. So it's you could perfect. do horseshoes or something. Well, they have, you know. <laughs> the old bellows. The, the old bellows. That's, uh, that's right. Out in Colorado, our family had a ranch out there, and they would put the cottonwood uh, on and use bellows. To keep wow. that going, going, going to make the charcoal so that they could start cooking the steaks on the on oh. the grill, my brother-in-law. Have you been to a restaurant lately where you had a dish that makes you think like, I can't stop thinking about a dish? Oh, yes. I've had that experience this week and I can't stop thinking about it. What is it? I went to Park and Oak. It's a, well, I shouldn't even say it's new, right? In, in West Hartford, Connecticut. And they do chicken and waffles. 
It's fried chicken, right? Wait, it gets better. On top are cheddar waffles. There's cheddar in the waffle. And then on top is a maple bourbon butter. Mm-hmm. Chris, I've had wow. them too. Have, did, have you been to Parking Oak? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. I can't stop thinking about it. My food that I can't get out of my head would be the cornbread in East Hampton, Long Island. The cornbread at Rowdy Hall is the best cornbread I've ever had in my life. It comes out with kind of a crispy outside. You just sort of peel that. A little on the sweet side. It is killer (gasps) cornbread. Bravo, bravo, and Mystic's Bolognese is the best I've ever had. Angela's given me the recipe, but I have to go there, and I, like, crave it. you got to have dishes like that. I know it. Right? In your life. They just make I don't know what she does. Every time I think of his chicken and waffles, my mouth waters. (laughs) You need like a uh, a transport map. Yeah, yeah. or home there. delivery. Yeah. Your this drones. is where the drones come in. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. I know people, people don't believe me, I but believe it's going to happen. Um, don't forget, coming up, we have a legend in barbecue, Mike Mills, with his new book that is called Praise the Lord, one of the best book titles. And this will be one of these Bibles in people's houses. We've got recipes up right now from the book, The Most Amazing Pork Chops Maybe Ever idea soon we're going to get flooded with zucchini right oh yeah i mean if anything ever grows just an idea zucchini cakes with cheddar this was from some food magazine and i don't know what i was in the doctor's office and i took this recipe uh, zucchini cakes with cheddar so they put in an egg breadcrumbs onions scallions you know and grated cheddar cheese and a pound of zucchini and they just make it, you know, in a food processor, and they make mm. cakes out of it and then fry it in a pan. And so you have these zucchini cakes with cheddar. Oh, and good. I just think that's a great idea. You're looking yeah, for things like to do with zucchini, so <laughs> I'm just putting that in your mind. Yeah. I don't even have the recipe. For Boy, you'll <laughs> be looking it idea. up later. Just <laughs> fry it in olive oil, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so we love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers. Barbecue Talk next for a free podcast of the show that comes to you every week in your inbox. Go to foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. This is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the East End of Long Island, the Hamptons in there, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. To hear this show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts, meaning free copies of the show, are curated recommendations. You can sign up for everything at foodschmooze.org. Oh, we've been waiting for this on the show. 
I want to quote Danny Meyer, who's one of the great restaurateurs and um, also has Union Square Cafe. And he's just an amazing person in terms of restaurant hospitality and savvy. And he did a blurb for this cookbook, which is called Praise the Lard. Um, (laughs) This, as Danny says, there are no two names more lovingly synonymous with barbecue scripture than Mike Mills, our guest, and Amy Mills. This is a dynamic father-daughter duo out of Murraysboro, Illinois, and their new barbecue uh, Bible, Praise the Lord, is sure to become gospel to aspiring pitmasters and home smokers alike. You know, he goes on to talk about Mike's charm and all that. You'll see that. But he also talks about Danny got to know Mike and Amy because of this big barbecue weekend in New York City. And guess what, folks? It is coming up right now. It's called the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party, and it's at Madison Square Park in the city. It's one of my favorite spots in the city, and it's June 10th and 11th, of course, Mike will be there, so will Amy, and a lot of other people. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Praise the Lord is the name of the cookbook, and boy, is it something. This man is a legend in barbecue. Mike Mills, welcome back to the Food Moose. Hi, how we doing? We're good, we're good. How about you? I'm doing great, thank you. Good, you're getting ready for the big time, right? Uh, yes, we are. Yeah. <laughs> we're so, very busy with all the details on that. If you're a barbecue person who will travel around the country, we're talking about Jean-Paul Bourgeois of Blue Smoke in New York, Joe Duncan, Baker's Ribs in Dallas, Bill Durney, Hometown Barbecue in Brooklyn, Jonathan Fox and Justin Fox, Fox Brothers Barbecue in Atlanta, Ash Folk, Hill Country in New York, Sam Jones from East North Carolina, Chris Lilly, Big Bob Gibson Barbecue in Decatur, Alabama, Pat Martin. Do I, am I getting a southern accent? You just I did. Started, I was like, so, you go, What am I doing? Okay, this is like, okay uh, Gary Rourke and Leslie Rourke. That's Yazoo City, Mississippi. And then there are people who specialize in sweets. You've got to attend this thing if you possibly can. Something that you notice there, did you notice how many names were from New York now? Years ago, when this first started, there was none. Oh. But over a period of years, this has developed to where the, some of the big names in barbecue are from New York area. Isn't that it's interesting? Amazing. Do you think it started with, I know they would, we're going to get to this special pork chop, by the way, that's going to just stagger you, but they would bring in some people from the South, and then next thing you know, because the, the laws in New York were so strict about all those exhaust fans and the noise and and then next thing you know, I, was it Blue Smoke that was the first yeah, one that cracked Danny the Myers. code? Yes. And then on it went from there. And now you're having this Good weekend barbecue. there. Woo. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. It is an exciting time. Can we talk about your recipe for, and whether you have a smoker or not, I don't have one, and I'm probably not going to get one, to be honest. And I talked with Mike ahead of the show, and I said, Mike, is that okay if people don't have smokers to do this recipe? And you said absolutely, right? Yes, you can do this recipe uh, without a smoker. It's better with. But if you can't do it for whatever reason happens to be, just follow all the steps. Okay. And it will come out magnificent. All right. This is bourbon buttered reverse sear double cut pork chops. Imagine that on the grill, people. 
So we've got a bunch of bone-in pork chops. You've got to have the bone in there, Mike, for flavor, right? Yes, absolutely. Then we've got your special rub that goes on there, and then you put the top-shelf bourbon butter that you make on there. All of these recipes are on our website, foodschmoes.org, plus information about this invaluable book. It's going to be one of the Bibles in barbecue. So let's talk about first the rub you put on the pork chops. It's a steakhouse shake. Tell me about this. Well, it's a combination of spices, you know, which will enhance the flavor. Everything that we do is about flavor, getting everything out of that piece of meat along with the spices that it takes to make it, you know, awesome. I really didn't realize in our last conversation quite some time ago that we were really getting at your technique of layering. This is why you do one, two, three steps when you're making barbecue, right? Right. Okay, so your steakhouse shake, as you'll see at foodschmooze.org, is, and in the book, of course, dry mustard, granulated garlic, ground black pepper fresh, kosher salt, smoked sweet Spanish paprika, dried thyme, and cayenne pepper. At what point are we doing that? That is going directly on the pork chop, you know, when it starts out. So you're sprinkling it on the top? Yes, both sides. You've got the whole instructions for people who are smoking, and you say it's at its ultimate when you do this. Yes. Now, if you don't have a smoker, tell me how you would grill these chops. I would do it underneath the broiler. Wow. Okay, you surprised me. Because you're going to get that high heat blast on the top? Yes. Chris, you're with, Chris I is a chef. I love the broiler. Yeah, I love the broiler. Not enough people use it. A lot of people forget about the broiler. They don't realize what it does, and they've had experiences before that it burned an item. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was just from lack of using it and knowing how yeah. to control it. So you have to watch very carefully. How far away from the broiler uh, heat do you want to be? Probably uh, maybe six inches. Okay. And you want to uh, crack the door? No. No. Okay. <laughs> well, you can, leave it, you can leave it open if you want. I definitely would just start with after you've learned what to do and done it a few times, then you'll get brave enough to close it. Let's say we've got it closed and we're going to broil for a few minutes on the top. Mm. Then we're going to flip them over and broil the other side? Yes. And are they done at that point? No, they're not. They've just started, <laughs> actually. So how are we cooking them the rest of the way? It is semi-started, and then you're going to finish it off. Yeah, that's a great it, idea, actually. If you had people coming over to your house, you could do this uh, an hour before. The way get the you, sear. The way chefs do this. Yeah, get the sear, and then put the oven on in like 350, 375, and then when your guests arrive, just finish it off. That's exactly mean, how we cook in a restaurant. Pop, pop, yeah, pop it back in the oven. Absolutely perfect the way you yeah. just described it. Yes. And then giving it that time of resting, too, after yeah. giving it that high sear, it does a lot to the meat. It makes it so much juicier. Now, at the end of doing these a bourbon buttered reverse seared double cut pork chops, and if you don't have a smoker, you're going to do it under the broiler, sear them off, set them aside, and when you're just ready to eat that skillet, well, let's say it's a cast iron skillet or an oven-proof skillet, goes back in into the oven 
and you finish them off at what? Are, what are you guessing? Three fifty, everybody. It's like yeah, oh, three fifty, three seventy five. I want to cook with them. But, He's got yeah. great sensibilities. I know, but listen. Then comes the top shelf bourbon butter as the finishing butter. That's it. Okay, <laughs> so you've got in here a stick of butter that's softened, a tablespoon of bourbon. You use Willets, mm. a tablespoon of pure maple syrup or cane syrup, a teaspoon of light brown sugar and a little bit of kosher salt, just a dab, and you combine the butter with all this stuff using a fork, you mash it up. Do you form it back into a log? You can. Uh, most people will. They'll have that all together, and then they'll be able to slice it off to just control the amount. So the chops are served. We're just topping each chop with a little slice of this bourbon butter? Yes. Actually, is it an approved use, Mike, would you say? Could we use this bourbon butter on some pancakes maybe too? <laughs> <laughs> Never thought about it, but I don't know why not. <laughs> <laughs> With the maple syrup too. Yeah. I think it's perfect. I'm, I'm thinking about it on everything. Toast, English yeah. muffins. <laughs> Sunscreen. <laughs> my vegetables. <laughs> you know, I really am. So there's the layering. You've got that steak-shaped rub. You've got the high heat for caramelization on the bottom and top of the chops. They're going to stay juicy. And then you're finishing with just a little bit of this bourbon butter. Up to you. You're just going to have the best pork chops ever in the world. This is restaurant worthy, right, Chris? Oh, my God. I want it now. Um, I agree. So this is Mike Mills. He's a legend in the barbecue world. His new book is Praise the Lard. (laughs) And he is co-captain of one of the biggest block parties you will ever see. It's the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party at Madison Square Park in New York City the weekend of June 10th and 11th. All these great, great champion barbecue people from across the country will be there doing barbecue. It's Are we just, going? Oh, my goodness. We I wish we could. we? All right. So information about You're our You're invited bo- to our place. <laughs> oh, okay. Watch out now because we'll be hanging out right at your elbow. Um, That'll be fine. What is barbecue without a tangy vinegar coleslaw from the man who knows a thing or two about barbecue and coleslaw. Mm. Mike, this is a simple recipe, but it's got that thing. Actually, it's about as simple as as it can possibly get. But the two items that really go together is, you know, the coleslaw and barbecue, no matter what part of the barbecue it happens to be. A good coleslaw always goes with it. I like the vinegar because it cleanses your palate. The meat, it perks it up to where you've got a crystal clear flavor each and every bite. So if we're at the big barbecue block party, we should have a little coleslaw between each barbecue station. We should. To clean. (laughs) Okay, so your recipe is green cabbage, purple cabbage. A carrot shredded, and then the key really is the dressing. For this one, you're doing apple cider vinegar. That's that palate cleanser. Uh, Some sugar, chopped onion, chopped green pepper, a little canola or a mild vegetable oil, celery seeds, a little granulated garlic, which Mike seems to put in everything, dry mustard, he likes Coleman's, kosher salt, and freshly ground black pepper. And let me tell you, that makes some coleslaw. Are you a believer that the coleslaw should be right on the barbecue sandwich? Whichever way you like it the best is the one that I'm going to recommend. I eat it both ways. I don't think that it's determined which way it is the best. 
I um, just got to have it. You know, <laughs> when, when we were talking about, I wish I'd said this, so let me just back up for a second. The pork of the pork chops. Can you get away with using supermarket pork chops? Or for a thing like this where you want to do, you're doing something special, you want to go to a farm and get their pork chops, what do you advise? Well, you just said the key word, something special. Whenever you're wanting to do the best, use the best. Am I going to use supermarket if that's the only thing that I have available? That's what I'm going to use and just do the best that I can with what I have. Will it be as good as, you know, some of the better pork? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to get now to this recipe on our website, too, foochmoose.org, plus information about Mike Mills, our guest, who, with his daughter, Amy Mills, has done this book, Praise the Lard. He is a legend <laughs> in the world of barbecue. And we're going to get to your Buffalo Trace brownie cake. This is a flourless brownie cake. But, Mike, I think we covered this years ago. I'd like to do it again, if you don't mind. How'd you learn this? Who was your teacher? My mother. (laughs) My whole family actually had a hand in it, not knowing at that point in time how all this was going to uh, turn out. My uncles, my dad, my mother, it was just a thing that all of the family did. I would say that we would be together at least once a month. To barbecue? Yes, and we would have a barbecue, and all the family would be together, and each one would bring a a certain dish. Was there someone in the family who was known to be the chief, you know, had the best of the bunch? It was my dad. Your dad? What what was his thing that everyone said, oh, we can't wait to, please make that? (laughs) Well, it was actually his pork shoulder. And, of course, what really put it all together was the barbecue sauce. You know, you have smoked meat until you add a liquid sauce. Actually, a dry rub is a sauce, too. It's just considered dry rub. So he he's the one who started, I guess, this, this layering of barbecue where this starts with the dry rub, the meat is smoked, and then there's some wet sauce that gets on or the, one of these barbecue, like your bourbon butter. So this layering goes back a long way, doesn't it, in the world of barbecue? It goes back a long way. I started out, that was the way that it was done. I didn't know any other way till later on in years that I you know, went other places and had barbecue, and theirs didn't taste as good as what uh, I was accustomed to, and that's when I found out there was a difference. And of course, different people like different things, you know. So I've always felt that our family had as good, if not better, than most. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get to, and we have this recipe, I can't wait to talk about this. This is a flourless chocolate cake, Buffalo Trace brownie cake, named for the bourbon. So best quality semi-sweet chocolate, you use guitar, a couple sticks of butter, that's encouraging right there, about a half a dozen eggs, a little bit of this Buffalo Trace Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, or a bourbon of your choice, vanilla extract, and some flaky sea salt or powdered sugar for the sprinkling on later on. That just comes together simply, doesn't it? Very you know, you read your recipe and you think, well, I'm going to put that in there. Just put it in. I guarantee it works. It's awesome. Okay. And now where does this come from? I'm going to tell you, my mother, I have no clue. Uh, it seemed like my mother always managed to come up with some of the best recipes. You know what's pretty great about this, too? 
if you used a gluten-free chocolate in here, we've got a gluten-free brownie cake. We do have. Yeah. I think the bourbon's fine because it's distilled. Right. Of course, I'm not talking about people who are celiac, but for gluten-sensitive people, wow, this is uh, this is quite a thing. And this photograph of this bourbon brownie cake is just, my mouth is watering as I'm talking. I cannot, I wish we had made that for the show. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> um, so... Would you give all of us advice? I don't have a big experience in terms of cooking ribs, grilling ribs, the way you do. You've got your legendary baby back rib recipe in this book, Praise the Lard. What is the simplest way that we could do ribs? Call me on the phone and I'll mail them to you. <laughs> I like that way. <laughs> mail order ribs. That's the best way. I'm wondering if that means there is no simple way. <laughs> You have okay. his number. There so, are certain steps that you have to do, and you ha- in order to be able to have, and especially when you come to ribs, is that's a very fragile piece of meat. It's very thin when you get right down to it. The amount of meat that's around that bone and how it can taste. There's just certain steps you got to do, and if you don't do each one of them correctly, you know they're burn up. Yeah, they just don't have the flavor profile that they should have done correctly. There's nothing better. You know, it's as good as any steak. So it's, you prefer uh, smaller two-pound racks of baby back ribs? I do. That comes from a younger hog, and they're more tender. They are, and, and of course, the hogs of today are completely raised different. It's younger. It's not the medium. It's not the norm of the ribs to be that small. Um, I prefer the two-pound. I found is really the best size. And what kind of charcoal do you use? I use an all-natural charcoal. I use a lump. Okay. Well, as always, I adore you. I think we all adore you. Mm. Mike Mills, with his daughter Amy Mills, they have done this new cookbook called Praise the Lard. We thank him for being so generous and allowing us to put three of the recipes from his book at foodschmooze.org, but especially information about this very book also. This man is a legend, and he will see you at the Big Apple Barbecue Block Party. And uh, that's coming right up. So I hope it's Madison Square Park, and he's co-captain this year, so it's going to be something. Thank you so much, Mike. I hope we talk again soon. You'll be getting a phone call from me. I I sure (laughs) hope so. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Good luck. All right. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays. Listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. Never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little party in your life, we're here and online all the time at foodschmooze.org. And of course, also on Facebook at Faith Middleton Food